Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Um, wow, yeah, it's just singing that song and thinking about the fact that there's a God who we call Father, but who has made himself known to us, that he could have remained foreign, that he could have remained in the heavens, that he did not have to reveal himself, and not just that he revealed himself, but he revealed himself as gracious and loving and good and kind and compassionate. Um, and as a father, as everything that we need, and the one who provides for us and takes care of things, who knows what we need before we even know it, that hears our prayers and answers in the way that a good, good father does, doesn't give us always what we ask for, but gives us always what we need, isn't always there when we demand them to be, but is always right on time. That's a good, good father. That's our God, the one that we put our hope and our trust in, and the one who will never leave us nor forsake us, the one in which all our hopes are met and all our fears are erased. That's our Father. Oh, man, he's good. He's good to us, and we can, we can trust him. And if you've never had an opportunity to put your hope and trust in him, make today that day um, because he's worth it. And we'll walk alongside you as you put your hope and trust in him as your father. And we'll learn to trust him together as father, as good, good father. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're pressing ahead in Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 5. We will wrap up this chapter this morning. Um, it is a, um, what we have uh, in our section this morning. We're starting in verse, I think we're in verse 18 is where at least that's where I'm going to start reading. Um, we're going to start reading in verse 18, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, verse 47 this morning. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be in John chapter 6, uh, story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, and that's John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. But this morning, we're wrapping up John chapter 5. Hey, before I read this passage, one of the things we've been challenging you to do is to um, read these passages in John during your time alone, uh, during the week, right? There, it's kind of almost like a devotional time. It's a time of just digging into the scriptures. And one of the challenges of, and I was telling somebody this week, um, I, I have um, I've looked at what other preachers, some other preachers have done with the Gospel of John, trying to preach through the Gospel of John. And I've seen someone do it anywhere from a year, which is where we're shooting um, for doing it in a year's time up until four and uh, closer to five years uh, in the Gospel of John. We will not be spending five years in the Gospel of John. Um, but there is a lot of stuff here. And so I, I uh, want to encourage you to spend time in the Gospel of John during the week. Stuff that we're not able to cover or questions that you have. Exploring those questions in the Gospel of John uh, so that we together as a church can grow uh, through this whole book and not just through uh, pieces or large sections of this book, the Gospel of John. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's read our scripture for this morning. I'm going to be in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Listen to what the word of the Lord says to us. Uh, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he, was, because not, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, 
these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things, for he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears the word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did good deeds to resurrection, to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things to you so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. The works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because in them, uh, you, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another? Or from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, 
How will you believe my words? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. We give you thanks that your word is right and good and precious and true. God, we thank you that we can grab hold of it, that we can read it, that we can seek to understand it, that we can ask questions of it without living in fear that we will um, offend the good and holy righteous God. And so, God, here we stand before your word, having read it and now wanting to gain wisdom and understanding from it, knowing that in it there is the way to life. And so, God, we just pray this morning that you will illuminate your word, that you will lead us through it, that you will help us to not put our hopes in the words that are written and sitting, sitting on a page, but that we'll put our hopes in the God that those words point us to. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed, um, have you ever noticed that it's interesting the way two people can, uh, um, they can, they can experience the, two, the same people, that two, two different people can experience the same thing and, and come to a different conclusion. I always think about movies um, because sometimes it's just a matter of taste and preference, you know, what you like or what you enjoy. But I'm, I'm one of these people, and this may be telling about me, um, but I'm one of these people that I enjoy silly movies. Like, um, so I enjoy comedies, but I enjoy silly comedies. Like, the, um, I, we, we watched this comedy last night. It's, uh, it was called Keeping Up with the Joneses. Um, with, uh, yeah, and, and it was one of those ones. And, and, uh, but before we picked it up from the red box, I, I told my wife, I said, hey, let's check IMBD just to see what the rating is on it. And I said, if it's not above a six, uh, let's not watch it, right? Um, because usually if they're kind of lower than six in terms of rating, you know, the movie's not good. Uh, and I knew it was going to be a silly movie, and it was a little bit lower than six. Um, uh, but we got it anyway, right? Um, because this is the way comedies work. This is at least the way I found comedies work, right? There are times where different people have different tastes in movies, and there are some things that are funny to some people. And some Comedy's one of those things that people are divided on, right? And so there's two people can sit there. Like, I love Will Ferrell movies. Movies like Elf, Anchorman. I don't know if y'all remember that movie, Blades of Glory. There are some scenes in that movie, Blades of Glory. That is one of, uh, as a classic movie. And I can sit there and, and, and I can almost recite the lines to some of these movies. I can watch them over and over and over again. And I laugh just as hard as I did the first time. And my wife is sitting there looking at me going, This guy. Like, how did I end up with this guy, right? Um, because here's the thing, right? Two people can experience the same thing and walk away with two, two different conclusions, right? They can go, that was good, that was bad. Uh, earlier, um, or I guess that was last year, I, I, um, I'm one of these people. I'm, I'm kind of a self-experimenter, if you will. Um, I, I, I'll read a study or something like that or hear some scientific report in some magazine or something, and I'll, and I'll take that and I'll run with it. So last year I read um, that, you know, how things that people you know, maybe one time were popular or maybe one time had a different association and then these studies that come out and say they're now healthy. Well, there's studies that are coming out there saying sardines are good for you. Um, because y'all know, like, fish oil, like, people take fish oil, right? It's good for, what, inflammation, brain health, all that omega-3. So there's these studies that are coming out. They're saying 
you know, fish, you know, uh, sardines, fish oil, you know, kind of same thing, fish, and that sardines are good for you. And so I, I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy some canned sardines. And I was, man, I, whenever um, they would have a sale on sardines, I would pick up a whole stack of them. And I'm sitting there, yeah, I'm eating sardines for breakfast, right? Uh, and getting up in the morning, just eating a can of sardines. And I tried for about six months to do that. And, um, I just, was, I just wasn't able to continue. Finally, I got to the point where I was just like, it just isn't my thing. I can't force myself to do it anymore. Even though I talked to my wife loves her some sardines. Put them on some crackers, chop them up with some onions. She can, she can get down with some sardines, but I wasn't able to do that. Because here's the thing, right? Two people can experience the same thing and walk away with different conclusions. And a lot of times that's taste or preference. But sometimes it's expectation, right? Sometimes you've, maybe you've heard that a movie is going to be real good, or you heard that a restaurant is really good, or that this dish is really good, and you have these high hopes and expectations of what you will experience when you have it, and then you finally get a chance to try it. Maybe it's tasting something you never tasted before, or going somewhere you never went before, or seeing something you never saw before. And when you see it, your expectations are high, and then you're set up for this ultimate letdown. And you're like, I don't know if I can trust them anymore. This, this, is, um, this is kind of the way things happened with Jesus, right? Uh, people, it's, you know, I like that switch, right, from sardines to Jesus. Uh, fish in a can to Jesus, a fisherman maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how these things come about. Um, but, but this is how, kind of how, the thing, how it was with Jesus, right? People had these high expectations about what Jesus would do, what he would look like, how he would come, how he would arrive. They didn't have a name, Jesus. They called him Messiah, right? That God's chosen is going to come. They had all these scriptures that talked about what God was going to do. And the people were beginning to look forward to, and not just look forward to, but they were beginning to crave the arrival of God's chosen because things in the world just weren't the way they were supposed to be. God's chosen Israel, they were living in pain and suffering and hardship, and they were experiencing um, um, the oppression of the Roman Empire, right? Not so much um, that they were being persecuted under oppression, but um, they uh, they were not in control of their own kingdom. And so they believed as God's chosen people that God had a plan for them, and that ultimately God would send His chosen who would liberate them from under that oppression. And they expected one coming uh, with great wealth and coming from a family of prestige and coming with a sword and symbols of earthly power. And that's what they were looking for. And when Jesus arrived, he wasn't what anyone expected. Right When the Messiah came, he wasn't what anyone expected. Expect it. And here's what happened, right? Everyone had to decide what they were going to do with him, right? In that moment when Jesus walked on the earth, everyone had to make a decision about what they were going to do with Jesus. And so what we see happening here is these people are beginning, especially where we are in John chapter 5 and onward, they're divided in separate camps. There's these people who are watching what Jesus are doing, and they're concluding that God is at work within him. They don't fully get what's going on, um, but they see the things he's doing, right? They see the water turned into wine. Um, They see Jesus um, turning over tables in the temple, right, Um, and awakening people's hearts. Maybe even a spiritual revival was coming out of that because people realized after this 
man uh, went berserk in the temples and turned over tables. Maybe people began to realize, yeah, our hearts are far from the Lord and we need to draw near to him. And they saw him healing the man who was sick, uh, or at least his son, the government official's son. They saw him heal that guy's son who was close to death. Um, they, they, they're seeing these things, right, that Jesus is doing. And they're, they're trying to put two and two together and they're going, uh, no ordinary man could do these things. This isn't the work of an ordinary human being. This has to be the work of God. So you had those who were watching what Jesus was doing, and, and they were kind of, at least um, at least for us, right, we, we, we look back and we, in retrospect, we're like, well, it was, it was clear, right? They're putting two and two together. And they're, they're recognizing that God was at work on earth and that he was bringing about a powerful change that only God could bring about. But then there were others who were watching all the things Jesus was doing, the exact same things, right? They, they saw um, Jesus turn the water into wine or at least heard the stories. They saw what he did in the temple, and they just called it a disruption, right? Um, they, they saw him heal this guy, and they're like, that was neat. Do that again, right? They, they saw these things, and they didn't quite understand that that was God at work in our world and they came to a much different conclusion right they're going this guy is this guy's an imposter a fake a phony this guy's pulling one over us he's 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 doing some neat tricks and all um but but he's not God's chosen because this isn't this isn't what God's chosen would would look like right this isn't the kind of family he would come from Right? This is, that's not the village that he would have been. They had all these expectations. Now, it's, it's easy for us, right, in retrospect with the Scriptures and, and believing in Jesus Christ, it's easy for us to look back and be hard on those people who concluded that Jesus was an imposter. But I, I am convinced that if, if we were alive in that day, right, because ultimately these people that God came to were religious people. There were people that were searching the Scriptures, both those that accepted him as God and those that rejected him as an imposter. They were religious people. They had the scriptures. They were devoted uh, to studying and learning about God. Um, But because of their expectation, right, the decisions they made, some, some got what God was doing and got on board. Others missed it. And I I don't, I'm not sure so much that we need to be hard on them or diss the ones that missed it, but we need to say, hey, what, in, in what way are we possibly missing it today? In what way do we think we understand how God will work and do things in our world? And, and we're missing it today. And so we, 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 we um, um, more than criticize, maybe it's helpful for us to learn from them. And so in, in this climate, though, uh, the ones that we're living uh, in opposition to Jesus, right? Those that were opposing the work of God through Jesus Christ, um, they were the powerful of Jesus' day, right? And so they had lots of power and influence, and, and they caused, um, they, they, they attempted to cause, they, they attempted to oppose Jesus, right, and defeat him, to, to, to press back against him, to silence him, but ultimately they did end up successfully oppressing and opposing those who were following him. And so there were people that were, um, would not, and we see this ongoing in J- the Gospel of John, who would not follow, um, they would not follow uh, uh, Jesus um, because of the, the fear that they had within them of those that didn't quite get what God was doing through him. And the scriptures are challenging us, right? Um, You may hear something about God, um, 
Or you may experience God in a way that doesn't fit your expectations. And you have to decide what you're going to do with him. Right? You're going to have to decide what you're going to do with your faith. Now, the thing I love about this section that we're in in John chapter 5 is that what Jesus does here is he launches into his defense, right? Um, in, in the Gospel of John, we have these uh, different sections. It's almost like the same thing, a repeating cycle throughout the whole Gospel of John. You have these stories. John will tell these stories about Jesus, right? He'll record these stories about things that Jesus did. And then he'll go into these explanation sections, right? These defense sections where Jesus will kind of put all that into context. He'll say, here's why I said that. Here's why I did that. Here's what this means. Here's what this looks like within the plan of God. And this is what we've arrived at this morning is one of those defense sections. In fact, Jesus, almost like a defense attorney, is standing up and he's making his case, right? He says, this is what I've done and this is why I'm doing it. And then he begins to call these witnesses to the stand. Not Maybe not uh, so much ordinary courtroom drama witnesses, but he begins to call these witnesses and say, these things testify about me. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's helping to to, to give us some context, some understanding about why, um, why this water has been turned into wine, why he's doing those kinds of things, right? And why he's healing a man on the Sabbath day and why he's doing those kinds of things. Because what people are beginning to conclude about him is, all right, we know Jesus, because remember, you know, small kind of a... Um, a different world. People knew each other, right? Um, we, we know Jesus. We know his family. We know where he's from. We know that he grew up going to the synagogue. We know he's a good Jewish boy. Why is, he, why, is he, why is he doing these things? Why is he causing a disruption in the temple? Why is he healing on the Sabbath when he knows um, that work on the Sabbath? Why is he commanding people to work on the Sabbath, as we saw last week, and, and doing these things that go against what a good Jewish boy would do. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's given a little bit of context and, and, uh, and defense um, for why he's doing these things. And so in John chapter 5, what he does is he begins his defense talking about God as his father. I'm going to back back a little bit before where I started reading. Uh, in John chapter 5, verse 6, this is where we were last week. This is right after he healed this guy that hadn't walked for 38 years. Y'all remember that story? Uh, go back and read that story because it's a powerful story um, that teaches us something about God's power to heal um, uh, just using his word. Um, oh, that's not that story. Well, I guess in that, this story, he heals by the power of his words as well, right? Um, so we see something uh, powerful happening here where he heals the, Ro the Roman official's son. This has just clicked with me. That, that happens sometimes up here. Um, the, he heals the Roman official's son by the power of his words, right? He tells that guy, go home. Your son has been made well. And then here in the story at the beginning of, of John chapter 5, he, he tells this guy, get up and walk, right? Um, um, he, he doesn't have to perform an operation on him to heal his legs, right? By the power of the words of God, he's able to bring healing to this guy's body. But then at the end of this story, listen to what he says, because people are going, because he did this on the Sabbath day. He told this guy to get up and walk on the Sabbath day, uh, which was not permitted for you to walk in a long distance, at least, uh, more than a certain number of steps, and carry uh, his mat that he was laying on. But he told him to get up, take your mat, and walk. This guy who hadn't walked in 38 years is like, yes, sir, whatever you say. He gets up, picks up his mat, begins to walk. Listen to what happens in verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now 
and I myself am working. Verse 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, there's a big problem that the Jews had with him using this phrase, father. My father is working until now is what he's saying. Now, you may be going, now what? Because like in the church, we always are referring to God as Father. In fact, a lot of people pray to God as Father and, and, and you know, our God, our Father. Um, and we refer to God as Father. You know, we have the, uh, the theological concept of Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity. And so this word Father is common within the church. Um, but within Judaism, there was something different that was going on. And it's a slight nuance in our ears, but it was a big deal for them. For the Jews, they often referred to God as our father but they referred to him as as our our father very rarely if ever would anybody refer to God as my father as this kind of uh, individual relationship but they had this way of referring to God as our father as an expression of their dependence upon God as their as they, they are his children it's almost like a um if you can almost um, if you think about traditional family roles, there's traditional gender roles where the father would go out and he would be the one that would go out and he would work hard all day and he would bring home what, you know, bring home the bacon, as they used to say, right? And the father would bring home the bacon. He was the provider for the family. Or maybe the father was a strong disciplinarian. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, maybe a, sometimes a father can just walk in a room and a boy that is sitting with his shoulders bent over will sit up straight, right? Um, because of the the father is there. Um, and so there's this, this traditional image of a father as being this provider, this one who provides discipline and structure for the family, as this one who, um, who takes care of his household and his home. And, and, and so for the Jews, that was their image of father. And so when they spoke about father, they spoke about one who provided, one who was uh, one to be respected, one who was a sovereign in the household, who had power in the household because you had this, um, this very clear power structure where the father was the, was the man of the house, right? Uh, and, and in that day, when you said father, those were the kinds of images and the feelings that the word father brought about. And so for the Jews, when they talked about God as our father, they're, they're saying our, our provider, right, are the one who's worth our respect, the one um, who has uh, disciplined us in the past. And when we don't want to feel, we don't want to feel that discipline again, right? That, that, that sense of uh, um, one who helps, to, helps us stay in line, keeps us straight. That was their image of, of father. But when Jesus says, my father, right, when this passage, like in verse, where am I, in verse 17, he says, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. What he's doing is not expressing God as father, uh, not using God as father to express some otherness, right, that God is other than me, that he's more powerful than me, but that God is like me is what Jesus is saying. My father's working, therefore I'm working. I'm doing the same things my father does because I'm like the father. And for them in biblical times, that would have been considered blasphemy, right? That would have been taking, especially for these people that consider Jesus to be an imposter, right? A phony, a fake, right? A common man, if he's just a common man and he's making God to be on the same level with himself, that's a problem. 
Um, and that's a major problem. Because blasphemy is this taking God uh, uh, that's sovereign and important and has a position that's high above our own and bringing, or at least attempting, to bring God down to our level. Um, that's blasphemy. And in the Bible, in, in Leviticus, has some strong words about blasphemy. Um, because blasphemy is like a... a it's like a cancer in a community of faith. Anytime we uh, take God, who is holy other, who is sovereign, um, omnipotent, all-powerful, all all-knowing, um, anytime we take God, who's holy and righteous and good, and we make him like us, that's that's blasphemy, right? That's, that's pulling God down to, to our level. And it's like a cancer in a community of faith. Um, because ultimately, a God who's dependable and trustworthy, he must be wholly other. He, he must be more powerful than we are, wiser than we are. He must know more than we do. And so here's what these religious people are doing. These people that consider Jesus to be an imposter, a phony, a fake, right? Here's what they're, what they're, what they're doing, right? Um, they've concluded that, that he's just a common man, and they're just obeying the law and defending the community of faith by rejecting Jesus. And so they feel that their intents, intentions are good because they've concluded, right, they've experienced the same thing as others, but they've concluded that he's a fake, and so they're all the more diligent to, to, um, to, to defend the community of faith by what the Bible says they're seeking to kill him in verse 17 um, um, or, or verse 16. For this reason, the Jews are persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but he answered them, my father's working until now and I am working. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the law of the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father making himself equal with God. They're going, this man has done what is destructive to the community of faith, and we got to get rid of him because we have to protect the community of faith. I want you to see that the only way that we can accept Jesus' defense as he set, sets out in this section to defend himself, the only way that we can accept his defense is by accepting his divinity. We have to believe that he's God in the flesh, that God was fully at work within Jesus, that he was doing the works that God sent him to do, that he was God in human form. And that's what John gets at at the very beginning of his gospel, where he talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, you know, in verse 1. Um, but then in verse 14 in John chapter 1, where he says the Word became flesh, right? In the beginning, you could say was Jesus. Um, and Jesus was there at the beginning, and all things were created through him, right? Um, but then in verse uh, 14, Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Remember, we talked about the message version of that. He moved into the neighborhood. God dwelt among us in human form. We called him Jesus. And, and, and that's the conclusion that the Bible's challenging us to come to, having a lot more evidence than the people in his day had. But with the evidence that we have today, we draw that conclusion that he's God in the flesh, and being God in the flesh, he's not an imposter. He's not a fake. 
but we open ourselves up more fully to what God is doing through Jesus. We must accept his divinity divinity, if we're going to accept his defense. Because here's Jesus' defense, right? Um, He says, "I'm, I'm just doing what I see God doing. Right? I, I'm just doing what I see my father doing, the work that I'm doing. You want to know why I turned water into wine? Right? You want to know why I'm turning tables over in the temple? You want to know why I, I healed that guy with the power of my words? Uh, a, 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 a Roman official, uh, someone that we don't even, um, we don't really even trust those Romans, right? We don't, we don't really like them. We, we kind of wish they would go away, but I would heal the Roman official's son. You want to know why I healed the guy who hadn't walked? in 38 years and I told him to get up and carry his mat on the Sabbath day and walk because I'm doing just what I see my father doing is what Jesus is saying and that is his defense is that I'm doing the works of the father look at verse 19 it says this in John chapter 5 therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them truly truly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does these things the son also does in a like manner For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. And and all week I was kind of wrestling with this question. What exactly does that mean, right? What does it mean that he's seeing the Father doing something and he's doing it? Because here's the thing, and we're going to get around to this uh, with with some points of application that I think are practical for our lives in a moment. Um, but, but here's the thing that John has in mind, right? John is not just telling us good stories, right? I've heard John uh, described, he's almost, uh, it almost comes off as um, kind of grandfatherly almost, right? It's like this, this older guy that can sit down and can tell stories, and you can sit and listen to his stories for a long time. Uh, a lot of times, um, the, the church, maybe it's, it's, you know, you might walk to, with, to John with this image of the church sitting around him and saying, tell us a story, and I believe that's a legitimate way of seeing and understanding John because he's telling us these stories, but he's not just telling us stories for our entertainment or our mere pleasure, right? He's showing us how we should live and how we should walk. And so when we get to the Gospel of John and we see God doing things through Jesus, we're going, in some way, that's an image of what, um, what God wants to do through us. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm just doing things that I see my father doing, we got to say, hey, now you ask those questions, right? What, is that, what does that mean? Because that's what God wants to do. God wants me to see the things that he's doing on this earth. He wants me to know what he's doing on this earth, and he wants me to pursue them, right? He wants me to be hard after the things of God, the things that God is doing. And so what we see, what we see with Jesus is this, is that um, Jesus was so... Uh, intimate and familiar with the nature of the Father, that the works of the Father became clear to him, right? He knew the Father so well. He knew the Father's character, personality, nature, and power. And he knew it so well that the works of the Father became clear to him. 
And so here where he says, I'm just doing what the Father's doing, he's saying, there are things that became clear to me that this is the work of God, and it became clear to me simply because I know God, and I know him as my Father. I've studied him. I came from him. I pray to him. I love those areas in Scripture where we see Jesus pulling away and spending time in prayer. I spend time with the Father so that on a day-to-day basis, the works of the Father become clear to me. And what I'm doing is the things that I'm seeing that are God-like, that are God-honoring, that are God-glorifying, those things were absolutely clear to me because I knew the Father. And it says something about us, and we're going to get there, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, um, but we're going to get there. Um, But it says something to us today about uh, knowing the Father, being apprentices of God, of studying God, of digging into the Scriptures, of diving down deeply, um, because there we get to know God, and it's only as we do that that the things of God, the works of God, become clear to us in our day-to-day lives. And so what Jesus says is, I'm, I'm doing these things um, um, because, um, because I see the Father doing them, but then he, he um, as, a, as remember I said, this is kind of like his defense, and he's almost like a defense attorney, and he's taking up his own case, right? He's representing himself. He begins calling witnesses to the stand, if you will. If you look down a little bit further in John chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 33, he calls his first witness, which is John the Baptist, right? And you remember John the Baptist. Uh, he was a mature man in the faith. He was a minister. Um, he, he was... Um, one that the people had come to know and trust. Remember, he was out in the wilderness, and he was preaching and teaching, and the Bible says that crowds were going out in the wilderness uh, to hear him preach, that they were uh, accepting the message that he was preaching, that they were uh, believing and being baptized in the baptism of John for the repentance of sins, that they were turning from their sins to make way in their heart for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's John the Baptist. And listen to what Jesus says, because this is his first witness. He says, you have sent John, and he testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things to you that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Right, so he's saying, you, you saw his light, and, and you yourselves recognized it legitimately to be a light from God, and you trusted John the Baptist, and you've sent to him, and what did he do? Like, what did he say about me is what Jesus is saying. And do y'all remember what John the Baptist was saying about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? This is the Lord who is here, right, that John the Baptist is proclaiming, right? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, is John the Baptist who is the first to testify to Jesus Christ to say that this is the real deal, that this is the work of God, this is what God is doing. And Jesus is calling his first witness and saying, um, a mature man of the faith, one whom you trust, has put his stamp of approval on me, has said that I'm really from God. And he's challenging those who've concluded that he's an imposter to put a little bit more weight on his first witness, who's saying that he's not an imposter, that God was at work 
through him. The second witness that he calls in this passage is the witness of his works. If you look in verse 36, listen to what he says. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Right? So here's what, what he's saying, right? If you go back to these miracles that we've been through so far, right? There's water into wine. If you remember when Brian preached that passage, one of the things that he said is this guy had prepared for this big wedding feast, and he was supposed to have a certain amount of wine that was not supposed to run dry. And in an honor and shame culture that when the wine runs dry, that is to your shame and detriment for a long time. In other words, people were not going to respect you anymore. They weren't going to trust you anymore. Your life in that community was over. And when Jesus turns water into wine, he saves that guy's life, right? Um, um, So that was one of his works. And so Jesus is saying, look at the works themselves. They're contributing to human flourishing, right? The saving of people's lives. And when he says, look at the Roman official's son, right, that was getting ready to die, had a fever that was getting ready to take him out, and I healed him. Look at the works themselves. What are are the works pointing to, right? They're bearing witness to the fact that I am real, really sent from God. Uh, And so he's saying, look at all the works. Look at this guy that hadn't walked in 38 years, and look at how he runs now. And look at how I called him to repentance. You remember that, that Jesus said, um, don't don't sin, stop sinning is what he says to him, um, or something worse might happen to you. And so we have these works, right, that that Jesus has done. And Jesus is saying, look at them and how they're contributing to human flourishing, how lives are being made whole and better by the works. So that was his second witness is the works that he's been doing. But then the third witness, um, the word of God spoken through his father. Look at verse, um, verse 37. Listen to what he says. And the father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And what he's saying is nothing that I've done has contradicted what is written in the scriptures. Go back to the scriptures is what he's saying. And test and see if the works that I'm doing are in line with the Word of God. You see, I love what John does here is that he both first states his case, he makes his defense, and then he begins to call these witnesses and say, they all point to the fact that I am legitimate, I am the real deal, that God is really at work in me and through me, that the works I'm doing are really the works that... Um, that, that, um, that, that God has sent me to do, that Father has sent me to do. But remember what I said about John. Is John's not just telling us good stories. He's, he's presenting um, Jesus as a model for us, right? This is what we should be growing into, right? And so we are created, you could say this, right? We're created in the image of God, but we're growing in the image of Jesus, 
John is concerned that we be a people who are growing into the image of Jesus. That as we read his gospel, we're not just marveling at God, but we're seeing an example for us to follow, right? We're seeing an image for us to become, what um, later in scriptures are going to call sanctification, this becoming more Christ-like in our actual lives. And so John is saying um, these stories are being told, and the reason why I'm including um, these explanation sections, right? These stories and explanation is so that you can see that, that um, kind of, uh, if you will, the, the mechanics behind what Jesus is doing. That you're not just seeing the what he's doing, but you're seeing the how and the why he's doing what he's doing so that, and here's where John's going to get later in the book, so that you can do the same things, right? So that you can walk in a like manner so that you can live like Jesus, so that you can actually be growing in the image of Jesus. And so we're studying this book ultimately so that we can see what Jesus looked like and so that we can be growing into that same image. In this section, we see um, um, at least three things, right, that, that, it, that growing in the image of Jesus means, right? It first, first means, and we kind of, uh, where I was jumping ahead of myself um, I've already gotten there, but we're going to come back there, right? The first thing that we see is that we got to know God. We must know God. Remember the way, what I said about Jesus seeing the works of God because he knew God, right? Um, and he knew God in a different way. The Bible does tell us um, that even at the age of 12, he was studying the scriptures with people who were um, um, professionals of the scriptures, right? Um, that he was there in the temple and that he was studying the scriptures. But he also knows God because he came from God. And so he knows God perfectly and, and, and better than we ever could. And so therefore his life looked different than ours did. Um, but, but if we're ever going to be growing like, to be like Jesus, we ourselves must know God. That means, and we started our year this way, right, that we got to be reading the scriptures. That as a church, we must be committed to reading the scriptures, to stretching ourselves in studying the Bible. Because it's in the Bible that God has revealed himself. The images that I'm that's going on and on in my head is... Um, <clears throat> And, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really thinking about sharing this, but it's been in my head all week, and so it's got to come out or it's going to stay there, and that's just not, stuff circulates around in my head. But it's this image of, when you know, like if you get a new job, right, um, and, and different jobs do things differently, but a lot of jobs do these things. Uh, any good corporation, right, they have, um, they have a cer certain uh, um, culture to them, right? When you, when you walk in the doors, they have certain things that they do um, that point to the fact that you are in such and such establishment, right? Uh, and so you have maybe, maybe it's a grocery store, or maybe it's a restaurant, or maybe it's um, some other uh, corporation that's not as familiar or frequented like that, but they have some kind of staff culture or internal culture about the way that you do things and you operate. And so when you get hired on at a job, they might give you a job manual, right? A book. Sometimes that book is thin. <laughs> sometimes the book may be a sheet of paper, uh, but sometimes that book may be thick, right? It may be a, a big book with several pages that say, 
say, this is how you dress at such and such establishment, and this is the things you say at such and such establishment, and these are, um, this is what we think about timeliness, right, at this, uh, at this, at this company. Um, this is the way we do things. These are the number of times you have to be late at this company, right? And you have this manual, and you open this manual, and you learn what, it, what it's like to be a good employee at you name it, right? Uh, you learn what it's like to be a good employee at. Hey, Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A is a good one, right? My pleasure, right? My pleasure. Uh, every time my wife and I will go somewhere, uh, we'll, we'll be somewhere uh, like at McDonald's or something, and somebody say, "My pleasure." We're like, "That person left Chick Fil A," uh, <laughs> uh, because you know Chick Fil A is known for that, right? Um, <clears throat> But here's the thing. We're, we're, we're willing to do that, right? We're willing to take home that manual and learn the way of that company because our livelihood depends on it, because our ability to hold down a job depends on our being able to show up on time, because our ability to hold down a job depends on us being able to wear the right thing, say the right thing. Right, because our ability to hold down a job, our livelihood, right, our ability to pay the bills, because we don't like to be in pain and hungry and those kind of things. Our ability to buy food depends on those kind of things. And what John is saying to us is your life depends on your knowing God. And there's a way that you can come to know God. And it's by reading the Bible. That God has blessed us with his scriptures, that God has revealed himself to us, that God has made himself clear, that he's not leaving us guessing any longer, that God can be really genuinely, truthfully, authentically known, and he can be known through the scriptures. And there's a certain distinction that there should mark those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. There should be certain things we say and things we do and ways we respond and ways we show up. And it's based upon our knowing God who's revealed himself in the scriptures. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to know God. The second thing that we have to do is that we have to be willing to say yes to the good works that God is calling us to that ultimately glorify the Father, right? So as we know God, we begin to see his good works, right? It becomes clear what God would have us to do in this world. But as we see those good works that God is calling us to, we must be willing to say yes to them, yes to the work that God is calling us to that ultimately glorifies the Father. Now, there's a number of different things in our world, I think, that prevent us from giving God our best yes over and over again. I want to just run through a few of them. Uh, one is uh, we, we have a hard time uh, uh, giving God our best yes when we keep God in a box, right? When we keep our God boxed up, right? When we feel like we, in what we see in this passage of Scripture, these people knew what God would look like. They knew how he would come. They knew what kind of family he would come in. And a lot of that was determined not according to the Scriptures, but according to their emotions and their feelings. Someone said God created us in his image, and since that time, we've been recreating God in our image, right? We've been making God out to be who we want him to be, think he should be, and we end up boxing God in and missing the way that God is working in our world. 
And every time we do that, right, every time we determine who God is based upon who we think he is or what God is doing based upon what we feel like God should be doing is we're putting our wisdom above God's wisdom and are not allowing and making space for God to work in the way that he wants to work in our lives. And so John is challenging us as he challenged the people in his day, right, to see the ways in your life where you are keeping God in a box because you can know God all you want, but if your God's in a box, you're not going to say yes to what he's calling you to do. And so the scriptures are calling us to live openly towards God, to be willing to allow God to challenge us to live and act in ways that might be uncomfortable for us as long as they're out of, not out of line with the scripture because God's always in line with what the scriptures are teaching us. Another way I see that we are saying no to God is by trying to keep up with the Joneses. I thought it was funny that we saw that movie just last night, Keeping Up With, with the Joneses. Um, um, but there are times that we try to keep up with the Joneses. Now, that's been, um, that's kind of become a caricature of this person. Uh, what does Dave Ramsey say? Uh, we spend money we don't have to buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even like, I think. Yeah, that's what Dave Ramsey said. He said something along those lines. And that is true. That is the caricature of keeping up with the Joneses, that it was this materialism that causes us to spend exorbitant amounts for things we might not even need, but because so-and-so has it. But keeping up with the Joneses is much broader than that, right? Anytime we look around us, and we see what other people have, and we set what we should have based upon what they have, we are keeping up with the Joneses, and oftentimes that will cause us to say no to God. And what John wants to do is set us up so that we can give God our best yes. And so that may be, um, you may be seeing what people have on Facebook and saying, I need one of those. And this could apply to things other than uh, material things, right? This might be, uh, maybe you're looking at someone else's marriage and you're saying, my marriage should look like that. Or someone else's job and you're saying, my job should look like that. Or you're looking at someone else's success and things they've attained at their age, whether it's 35 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, right? Whatever age you're saying, at 75, I thought I would be there, right? There's so many ways in our world um, that we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And as long as we're comparing ourselves to those around us, we're going to continue to say no to God. You see, John is challenging us in our world to see ways that things are standing in our way that are causing us to say no to God. And we have to be willing to recognize all of these things when they appear so that we can reject them, deny them a place in our lives, and say yes to God. The third thing I want you to see um, that John does uh, in this passage that he reveals to us, at least that Jesus does in his life, um, is that he allows the witnesses to hold him accountable. He allows the witnesses to hold him accountable. That means he, he called on John the Baptist and said, John the Baptist, take the stand and tell if the works that I'm doing are the works of God. And he called on the works themselves. And he said, look at what I'm doing and tell by the, the, what it's producing, right? Whether it's the work of God. And then he's calling on the Father and his words and scripture. And he's saying, read your Bible 
right, and see whether the works I'm doing are the works themselves. And we are to allow those same witnesses to keep us accountable, to hold us accountable, to say, what are mature people in the faith, um, um, what are they saying about what I'm doing? And a clear sign that your works might not be the work of God is if you're afraid to even tell them. Allow the witnesses to hold you accountable. Have mature people in the faith in your life that have permission to speak into your life and to say whether what you're doing is the work of God or not. Give the Scriptures permission to speak into your life and say whether what you're doing is the work of God. And allow the works themselves, if they're destructive, if they're tearing down rather than building up, if they're depressing rather than encouraging, if they're malicious and mean-spirited rather than kind and compassionate, right? Allow the works themselves to testify whether the things you're doing are the work of God themselves. Because um, John wants us to see that these are not just good stories, that God is really at work in our world, and he's calling us to join him, to be a part of what he's doing. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. Um, we give you thanks that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and to read the scriptures, and that we have Jesus as an example, a model for us. And God, we are thankful that we, um, we don't just look at Jesus and we say and marvel at what he did or what he accomplished, but we look at Jesus and we see the things you want to do through us. We see the ways you want us to say yes to you. And God, I pray that you will give us the power, that you will give us the boldness and the courage, that you will give us the strength to say yes. At times when it's difficult, God, may we say yes to you. God, when there are times when we don't think we have the strength, may we say yes to you. And God, help us to find out, to test and see that God is faithful and that he will work through us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.